Show must go on. Show must go on. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and with me, as always, is my BFF, Charles Chuck Thompson. How's it going today, man? How was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was fantastic. We uh, celebrated my birthday again. Um, This is because we had reservations. That scared the crap out of me just then, because I was like, oh my God, was Charlie's birthday this weekend? No, it wasn't. No, no. Forgetful Nate. It wasn't. It was the weekend before, but we had reservations for the House of Cards. I don't know if you guys have been to a House of Cards yet. Uh, There's one in Nashville. I don't know if there's another one around somewhere, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's worth it. You should go. Is that different from the tv show house of cards so, like what do you do at one of those things this is a like yeah it's a it's a like a secret place uh that's um uh, they do magic and and stuff there oh okay oh yeah i heard really, about th- i heard about that place yeah yeah, yeah what really a little cool. nashville underground place i forgot about that yes it's actually underneath the johnny cash museum it's literally sure underground help people that but <laughs> you really are kind of busting the whole secret aspect of this thing look i didn't say where to go I just said you go with Johnny Cash Museum and it's underneath there. <laughs> <laughs> Any places that you find to be underneath the Johnny Cash Museum, ask, do the secret handshake. That's what we're not telling you is the secret yeah. handshake, which you got to do uh, with a deck of cards in the other hand. Got to dress up all fancy. Nice. Wear your, wear your tuxedo t-shirt when you go there. And uh, uh, good luck. Good luck getting in. Don't tell them that like- we sent you. There were some ridiculous magic tricks. In fact, one the my favorite one was table side, and it was absolutely insane. Somehow, and I still can't figure out how the guy did it. The guy took out a cigarette, and he tossed it in the air, and he made it float mm. in the air. And he, like he put his fingers around it and everything. Like I don't know, like no strings or anything like that. I couldn't tell if there was a magnet. He made it float in the air, like made it, brought it to his mouth, walked away from it. And like floated up and down the air. And then like he even because it's an adult show, he he like bounced the cigarette off his crotch. <laughs> Did you consider the possibility that it was just real magic and this guy is, that, is maybe ordained by was, the magician gods in some kind of way? Part of me was thinking that. I was yeah. like, man, this yeah, this is this is some witchcraftery 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 okay yeah you know (laughs) luckily we don't burn people at the stake anymore here in nashville tennessee so this guy made it in and out just fine that's right how was your weekend uh absolutely god awful just one of the worst weekends that you ever could imagine and it's ongoing right now it's happening right now as we speak and um i was telling the live group beforehand i i don't know that i've ever felt quite so terrible before um, as I do right now, and it's a weird, terrible. It's a uh, yeah, it's very weird. And um, if it wasn't from uh, you know the pressure of the live group for you to do mm-hmm. this every single day, we would have taken a break today. But yeah. those guys, I mean, and gals in there, they they just they're hounding you. If you could take, just imagine <laughs> taking a tens unit, and then you you swallow the leads and let them go like right here in your chest, just like right mm-hmm. there. And then you cranked it up a bunch and told it to do things randomly. Um, and then you put one inside your head too. 
like in there. That's kind of what it feels like right now. So let's go. I'm pumped. Look, things things ain't good. Sam I'm, says we're truly relentless, and that is truth, man. <laughs> if you want to be part of the relentless group, go to patreon.com slash good morning liberty. Get in on the live group and uh force Nate to do a show every day because yeah. that's what they do. I'm <laughs> kidding. They've actually been uh very, very nice. And even one of them said that uh, you know, you guys should take a break. But um but Nate doesn't take breaks. So <laughs> Jeff you could even tell him to take a break and he'd be like, Oh, okay, I'll take a break. And yeah. then he doesn't take a break and be like, Hey, did you take your break? He'd be like, Oh yeah, I thought about it. But he doesn't do it. I thought about taking a break, which is a big step. <laughs> Earlier, I wasn't thinking about taking a break. Right. So that we're making big strides. Jeff said it was Michael Scott there. Michael Scott was not, but Michael the Magic was there. So it's a, it was a pretty good show. You need to go check it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. One other thing before we get going here, send me an email if you're interested in coming on the show for an interview. We are going to be interviewing people to highlight humanity and talk about people's lived experiences what led to them having the political ideologies that they have what other goals from their ideologies did they ever have any different ones what was it during your life or what stories do you have or what stories have you heard that lead that led you to be the person that you are right now and the way that you feel about these things right now what we want to do is we want to be highlighting the human aspect of our massive political divide before we get into an all-out civil war And that is what I want to avoid, because when you look simply at the problems here, um, you could say, well, I don't see this changing in any kind of way, except for eventually leading to a civil war. And I think the issue is that we've taken away the the human aspect. We've dehumanized everything, um, thanks to social media and the media in general, politicians, all that stuff. We've dehumanized everything. And we want to highlight that from people at all walks of life, white, brown, black, gay, Hispanic, and Indonesians can all come on the show and Mm -hmm. talk about whatever it is. It doesn't matter what your political uh, faction is that you follow, what cult you're in. We want to know why you're in that cult. And By the way, your list was included, but not limited to. Oh, yeah, not limited to those people. Because South Africans, North Africans, Mm -hmm. uh, Asians, North Asians. Anyone from the continent uh, of Africa, honestly, can, can come there. Or if your ancestors have one time been on the continent of Africa, yeah. which Canadians, which pretty much en- encompasses everyone. I'm pretty Greenlanders. sure I think that covers everyone. So well, well, uh, if you're from Pangea, <laughs> yes, then, uh, all of our then... Pangeans, please join up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So send me an email, Nate at goodmorningliberty.us. Put in the subject line TBD interview because the, t- the title of the series is to be determined, but put TBD interview. We got a lot of people who sent over some great emails talking about coming in and or not coming in, you know, because of COVID we'll do it over zoom or something, but uh, coming on the show recording and talking about why we are the way we are. So you consider it. If you don't want to do it, have your parents do it. I don't know. Have your leftist, have your communist uncle do it. All right. Or maybe your maybe your Antifa best friend. Okay. Just have them come on. <laughs> Nate at goodmorningliberty.us. Maybe your proud boy cousin. Yeah. And we'll figure out where to go from there. Well, that, that brings us right to the first article. <laughs> yeah. Hey, wow. What a transition. I am getting so much better at those. That was uh, a transition. It, take, take it away with this beautiful HuffPost. <laughs> yeah. From the HuffPost.com. Gay men hijack Proud Boys hashtag in powerful social media campaign. And we're really only powerful. talking. This is powerful. We're really only talking about this because 
we literally mentioned this needing to be done last week. If you want... It was like Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah, because <laughs> when I first heard the group called Proud Boys, or maybe the group formerly known as Proud Boys, I'm not really sure, I thought it was a was a big gay group, which is fine. Totally yeah. fine. There's there's not anything wrong with that. But that's what I thought you don't it like was. Small, you don't like small gay groups. You like big gay groups. Big so those are fine. gay groups, and I like them to be proud. I don't want right. shameful gay groups out there, okay? So <laughs> I thought that that's what this was. And it turns out to be um, Western chauvinist, you know, yeah. whatever the whatever they want that to mean. So gay men. Deemed, by the, deemed by the media as white supremacists, yes. uh, Nazis, and, you know, anti-Semites. An, an obvious white supremacist group uh, who is headed up by none other than Clayton Bigsby. So... <laughs> Gay men launched a savvy campaign over the weekend to appropriate the hashtag of the white supremacist Proud Boys with a tsunami of touching images and messages on social media. I'm still waiting. I am completely open to finding out why they are white supremacists. I need someone to send me that. I will completely accept it. But I did a lot of digging. And like I said on the episode, I went all the way to Google search page nine, which is like a 0.1% likelihood that anyone's ever going to do that. And I could mm. not find anything about them being a white supremacist organization at all. It's like searching f for a diamond in the middle of a sandstorm. I might as well have been at the library d digging through encyclopedias. That's what it's like going to page nine on your Google search results. You might as well have been in the Sahara Desert, <laughs> combing with an actual comb, the desert back and forth, looking for the lost <laughs> tooth of a tiny baby saber-toothed tiger buried deep down in there and you're never going to find it <laughs> it's like searching for a haystack and a needle all right yeah. you know it's a yeah. big deal you can't go to search page nine and i could not find it but if you guys want to send that to me send it over the love resistance movement let's see how many times we could keep going up with analogies there <laughs> the love resistance movement sent proud boys zooming into the trending stratosphere but the posts weren't riddled with disturbing images and hate spewing messages by the group donald trump told to stand by after he was asked to condemn white supremacists at last week's presidential debate. Instead, these Proud Boys Twitter posts were filled with photos of embraces and wedding scenes and expressions of love. In honor of the campaign, the official Twitter account of the Canadian Armed Forces in the U.S. posted an image of a service member kissing his partner with emojis of Canada's flag, the rainbow flag, and the rehab Proud Boys hashtag, love is love, piped up the Royal Canadian Navy. Royal Canadian Navy got involved yeah. in this too. So they and then they also added in their standby bi, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought, I mean, it's creative. It's good. Yeah, and we must have you know some of these people listening to the show because it's exactly what we talked about last it week. Don't believe us? Go back and listen. It is take no, the three hundred episode challenge. You got this. We've been talking about this for weeks now, man. All right, that's really all I had to say about that. Was uh, if you want to hear, if you want to get your strategy your political strategy uh, a day or two beforehand then listen to the good morning liberty podcast every single day of the week when we want to all right yeah all right charles exactly. tell me about this coming up. from uh nbc news trump leaves hospital amid covid treatment revealing dangers of toxic masculinity so toxic trump is you know obviously toxic toxic man he's full of toxic toxic masculinity now he was at there was a what was it there's a, a like an ongoing rally outside of walter reed i don't know how many people were there but 
a lot of people supporting Trump, hoping he gets better. And Trump decides to hmm, get in his get in one of his SUVs, protected vehicles, and go wave at the crowd for some reason. I don't know. Like, I don't understand why he did that, except that's just like that's a Trump move. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's let me tell you how NBC News thinks this is uh, full of toxic masculinity. <laughs> okay. So it says here the strong man is sick. Due to mixed messages from President Donald Trump's doctors and staffers, we don't know exactly how sick he is, but we know he is sick. After months of downplaying a disease that has killed more than 200,000 people in the United States, Trump con- uh, contracted COVID-19 and was airlifted to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center after exhibiting symptoms that were very concerning. Now, Trump being airlifted to the hospital Thank is you. not the same as someone else being airlifted Thank to you. the hospital. Just wanted to point that out. I, I was going to I literally had already planned to say that here in a bit because they mentioned him being airlifted a, a couple times in in he this walked to Marine Force One. And <laughs> Trump would be no matter what, if he was going for a, a routine blood test, he would be airlifted over He's, there. He, Trump is mostly airlifted everywhere he goes. Right. That's kind of what <laughs> exactly. the president has done. He they get airlifted places. On Sunday night, Trump left the hospital briefly to drive by supporters in uh, the presidential motorcade. The joyride, which was decried by medical experts and even some Walter Reed doctors for potentially putting himself in a Secret Service detail at risk, is a particularly, particularly reckless example of the president attempting to downplay his illness. Of course, (laughs) they just try to. What is this when you like? You, you essentially just make up what the person's thinking. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, he's taking this ride, obviously, because he's downplaying it. And he just want to take a ride. What if what if since you're infected with SARS-CoV-2, it doesn't mean that you just have to lay in a hospital bed for the next couple of weeks? Like, what if you can what if you can move? <laughs> you know, not everyone who has SARS-CoV-2 infection in their bloodstreams is uh, locked up in a hospital for a yeah. couple weeks at a time. You can be infected. Now you should quarantine afterwards and and not spread that infection around to other people. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. It's uh, one of the things they say in this article is that they feel sorry for the Secret Service person that had to drive him around because you're in an airtight vehicle and you've got someone who's clearly infected w- with a virus. Um, so maybe that's not the best thing to do i don't know but acting like he's trying to downplay his illness by taking a trip in a car (laughs) like that's not i mean i just they're really reaching there really reaching and it's to make the toxic masculinity point well but here let me this it's obvious nate it says the reason for his transparent uh for his the reason for this transparent bravado is obvious the president's needing urgent medical care because of a virus he spent the last eight months mocking or outright denying, which is not true, by the way. We discovered that. Fact check. Not true. Wrong. Contradicts his brand of invulnerable masculinity. The problem at this past week, as shown quite dramatically, is that pretending you're stronger than a deadly virus has consequences. When men, and in parentheses here it says, and women, Pretend like they're not sick and don't take precautions. It's not strong. It's quite literally dangerous. 
It's not like we weren't warned. In 2016, Trump aggressively painted himself as a supreme alpha male, bragging about the size of his buildings, his testosterone levels, and even, regrettably, his anatomy. He built himself up by portraying others as weak, suggesting that uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas was a P-word. Thank you. Pussy. (laughs) And that Jeb Bush was low energy. (laughs) That's the quote from the article. Yeah. Sorry, mom. And Trump's treatment of women really showcases the toxic misc of ego, uh, mix of ego and dishonest masculinity that has defined his adult life. Just look at the way he's treated women when they uh, when they get get sick. Hillary Clinton's almost fainting during a visit to the 9-11 memorial in 2016 became a massive campaign liability because the president and his right wingers and uh, right wing enablers made it one. Trump became, in fact, obsessed with Clinton's uh, fitness. He mocked her stumbling and her pneumonia diagnosis while promoting conspiracy theories about her mental health and claiming she lacked the stamina to lead the country. Now, this campaign ran- now while we're talking about this, can I, I'm going to cut in that. Have you not seen in the last few days um, conspiracy theories about Trump being sick? Um People bringing up the 25th Amendment and saying that Trump is not fit to be in office right now because he's got SARS-CoV-2. It's only Republicans getting the virus. Yeah. And Something I mean, must be going on. But we're remember, we're making this point about him needing to treat women this way. And they're talking about his, his political opponent during the presidential election uh, almost fainting while trying to get into a van or a vehicle during a trip to the 9-11 memorial. And him trying to to get her medical reports out, basically. And I mean, what have you seen about Trump over the last several days since the, since all this news came out? We've got to get all this. And now they're downplaying the fact that he's that he's actually sick. I saw a thing yesterday from a blue check mark saying that they edited out Trump coughing in the video that he released uh, from from the hospital. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't I don't know if that was the original video, but apparently there was a little cut in the video, and they said it must have been a cough. And look how pale his skin is. Not to mention, we've been making fun of the fact that he obviously gets spray tans on a repeated basis all the time and is sorely missing his spray tans right now and is a very, very pale human being in comparison to how he looked a week ago. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, like, they're doing all the same stuff. I'm not saying all of it's not fair game, but it, it drives me nuts when you act like this other person does stuff and you don't. And no one else does stuff. Yeah. Let's does skip down stuff. here. So it says, this all raises the question, is there anything that will make irresponsible men take this virus seriously? <laughs> we already know what happens when you don't. If Trump's own situation isn't enough, look at the way the virus spread among attendees at the White House's packed Rose Garden ceremony for Amy Con- uh, Coney Barrett, where Trump campaign officials were seen hugging and fist bumping uh, without masks, basically. And while Trump is the poster boy for this outdated view of masculinity, it's not unique to him. It's not even unique to America. The president follows in the footsteps of other chauvinistic male leaders who have misled their own people about the risks of the virus, only to end up contracting it. The latest being Alexander Lukash- uh, Lukashenko, the Bulgarian authoritarian leader who got COVID-19 after claiming it could be cured with saunas and vodka. It's worth noting that so many of the world's most powerful COVID-19 deniers happen to be men. 
The truth is that both men and women fall ill, and they both need time to recover. In addition to pushing back when women are stereotyped as weaker, we also need to question the ideals of manhood that pressure men to hide or deny their illnesses to save face. Men get sick too, really sick, so let's let them. Um, men are a bunch of babies when they're sick, actually. Yeah. I think the weaker sex is actually men when it comes to falling ill because men like to really complain when they're ill. And you know, this whole, this idea of like tying this back to masculinity, I'm not going to say that there are not some toxic traits uh, of president Donald Trump, because there absolutely is um, the way that he talked about women. <laughs> Obviously I, I believe the affairs um, and how he used women is to me, a, a toxic represent representation of what it means to be a good man. Um, but to somehow say, that because he contracted a virus, therefore, this is his toxic masculinity showing that makes no sense whatsoever. It really if you want to talk about the toxic traits of his masculinity, then talk about those. Don't liken, don't liken it to somehow contracting a virus and therefore equals toxic masculinity because I'm going to go on a car ride. Like that makes no sense to me. Yeah, I thought that this virus was more dangerous for women in some kind of way, and women and minorities and all that you know i thought that this was a virus that was uh beneficial uh overall to your your typical toxic white male you know i i, I yeah. thought that that was the people who were doing the best overall um it really bothers me that they can't just talk about any of the policy here or maybe that that's a bad idea if you're infected with a virus to ride in an airtight van or an airtight SUV with someone else who maybe is not sick and that that's not a great idea um, they could just talk about that, lumping it into this being a trait of masculinity and that being a problem is really bothersome to me. The yeah. other thing is I don't know. I completely agree. You can go down there and ask my wife right now, because I told you how my weekend's gone. Men are little babies when they are sick for sure. I'm going to, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to have a quick cry and I'm going to go take a nap. All right. And that's just what I that's just what I'm going to have to do. All right. So so I, I do think that we can easily pinpoint that. But I don't think there's anything bad with when you're sick, trying to live your life as long as you're not going to go infect a bunch of other people, trying to live your life as if you're not sick or as if everything is OK. I don't think that when you get sick, it's immediately a great idea to just go lay in a hospital bed and wait for death to come upon you because you've gotten sick. I think going out and, and getting some work done or, or being active in some kind of a way, uh, even the way that, you're, that your mind, that you're mentally attacking the, the virus, I mean, the mind does have control over the body. I don't, I don't have the exact science on that. but well, I do. There's, a, there's a lot of psychological lit literature that suggests the, uh, your mindset and, and how your mood that you're in and the, and the mindset that you have can obviously positively or negatively impact your actual uh, physical health, your, um, I can't think of the word for it, but your, your, uh, your physiology. So it can actually affect your, your, the, your psychology can, can affect your physiology. And we know that clearly just by the fact of looking at placebo groups and things like that. I mean, if, if someone thinks that they're taking something or that they could be taking something that does a certain action they can manifest 
those actions in, in their mind. And so I do think that I do think that there's something to be said for trying to be as upbeat and positive and F this virus, I'm going to be just fine as possible while also making sure you don't go out and infect a bunch of other people dur- during that. Uh, to me, you can, you can draw a line between those two things where it's okay to have a certain attitude towards something negatively affecting you and not go negatively infect a bunch of other people. You like what, what I did there? It was pretty good. Oh, that, yeah. was, that was so was good. good. What, if, uh, what, what do you think the media would have done if he would have taken this drive in a, in a protective uh, self-driving Tesla? <laughs> it's just him. I don't know. Nobody driving, just waving. They probably, or if he was in like a Pope mobile where he was just up in a glass case of emotion, yeah. just standing up there waving. You know, and now it did look like the drivers, the pictures I saw, it did look like the Secret Service agents in the vehicle were wearing N95 masks. And Trump had a mask on, if, right. from what I could tell, inside the vehicle, which right. the, you wearing a mask is supposed to protect the other people. So, I mean, whatever. The, I, I just, I think there's other things that we can worry about other than whether or not those Secret Service agents are going to get a cold. Sorry, a lot of people do get it, and it's really bad. Um, a lot of people. But they do. were obviously they were all obviously wearing uh, toxic mask. Well, yeah, to- as Magoo said, toxic mask Ulinity is what they all right. had on inside the car. <laughs> so thanks, Magoo. Uh, the other little thing, little. Let's just pay attention to statistics, and any time that they can be manipulated, they're going to be. At the end of this, they say it's worth noting that so many of the world's most powerful COVID nineteen deniers happen to be men. Okay, it's also worth noting that so many of the most powerful people in the world are men. So therefore, the people who deny COVID-19 and are powerful people in the world will statistically most likely be men. Just just on a, on a blanket statistic basis. If by most, default. Just by default. If, if the bulk of the people who are powerful in the world are men, and there is a percentage of powerful people in the world who are COVID-19 deniers or whatever, they're statistically, most of them will be men. That's just how numbers work. All right. This, this whole thing, I I just hate that we had to turn this into an anti-men conversation. All right. It's getting, I'm getting all up in my feelings. Well, now that you're telling the people that you're obviously mansplaining. So you're not allowed to really have commentary on this, Nate. So I don't even know why you put this article in here. Um, and just on a side note, did you watch the new Netflix documentary about the uh, Chris Watts thing? It's like American no. murder or something. I can't remember. You know, the Chris Mm-mm. Watts thing, that absolutely disgusting story where the guy killed his wife and his two kids and he put the two kids in a oil refinery container. Oh, um, and concrete or something like that. No, it, uh, we'll just, we won't go into that. So Chris Watts, so there's this big documentary and at the very end of the documentary, after this, they just go this whole documentary about this terrible guy who was deceiving his family and then ended up killing his wife and his two kids. What's the very last thing you see in the screen at the end of it? Most, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to botch what it says right at the very end, but it said something to the effect of, uh, the majority of people who kill their spouses are men. And that was the last words of the documentary. (laughs) And I'm like, what the actual F are we talking about right now? Like we just watched this documentary about this terrible thing that happened and it's very emotional. There's nothing, 
political during the documentary whatsoever. It's literally just a documentary about this thing happened. And the very mm -hmm. last sentence they have to put in there is that the majority of people who murder their spouses are men. What's the point of that, you think? What do you think the point of that is? It's so crazy. Anyway. Say men are bad, okay? Men are bad, okay? That's what you got to mm -hmm. be left with. You see that? Stay away from the men. You see that story right there? Yeah, I was going to say, they never seen Snapped. I watch Snapped all the time. Tell you what, man. There's a lot of crazy women out there. I always okay. say never mess with a, with a messy bitch and a messy man. <laughs> okay. What say, man? So I got a quick story before Charlie <laughs> runs into the, this, this is a pre, a, a precursor to the next story. Drone carries human kidney over Las Vegas desert in what could be the future of Oregon transportation. Drones are used today for a variety of tasks, delivering small express packages, assisting in search and rescue operations, and capturing stunning aerial views, to name just a few. Get ready to add one more to the growing list, human organ transit. I wonder Re when it's going to be approved by the FDA. Yeah. Researchers at Mission Go, a provider of unmanned aviation solutions and the Nevada Donor, Donor Network, an organ procurement organization, announced last week two successful test flights carrying a human organ and tissue via drones in Las Vegas. The first flight on September 17th transported research corneas from one hospital to another, about two and a half miles away. On the same day, a second flight delivered research kidneys 10 miles from an airport to a location outside a small town in Las Vegas desert. It marked the longest organ delivery flight in drone history, surpassing the distance of a historic April 2019 flight when staff, now with the Mission Go team, transported a kidney from the Living Legacy Foundation of West Baltimore to the University of Maryland Medical Center downtown. And uh, the article goes on to talk about the fact that most of the time organs are transported on commercial flights. They'll stick them on there. And uh, there's a, about 25 to 30 percent less commercial flights happening right now. And they said there's been a lot of organs that have been wasted because <clears throat> they haven't been able to get a flight to to their new home. And that's so cool. I, I mean, that's really cool. Freaking love capitalism. <laughs> You know? amazing i just love it the goose said he's pretty sure he left a kidney or two in the vegas desert <laughs> probably a liver <laughs> i think i left my liver once down there what's the return Las time vegas on Boulevard. that it can't be 30 days like normal there's no way <laughs> oh well that leads us into um obviously you know cool things like this like these companies doing amazing things flying organs unmanned to save lives all for the for the pursuit of that evil greedy prophet well pope francis says market capitalism has failed amid covid-19 crisis this is coming from the new york post pope francis says the coronavirus pandemic has proven it's proven, proven. that the quote magic theories of market capitalism has failed and that the world needs a new type of politics that promotes dialogue and solidarity and rejects war at all costs. You know, not, if I, if I were against that last part, if I were an atheist, I would come in immediately with it's hilarious to hear the Pope talking about something that has proven magic theories to be incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Francis on Sunday laid out his vision for a post-COVID world by, un, uh, by uniting the core elements of his social teachings into a new encyclical fratelli duty. <clears throat> encyclical, I think is what it was. Sorry, a new encyclical uh, 
that would be Fratelli, Fratelli Tutti, Brothers All. I think that's in Italian, I think. Mom, fact check me on that one. <laughs> Which was released on the feast day of his namesake, the peace-loving St. Francis of uh, Assisi? Assisi, probably. Assisi? There's Assisi. no more. There's no more hard words in it. Okay, good. Yeah. So anyway, skip past that. The document draws its inspiration from the teachings of St. Francis and the Pope's previous preaching on the injustices of the global economy and its destruction of the planet and pairs them with his call for greater human solidarity to address today's problems. Quote, aside from the differing ways that various countries responded to the crisis, their inability to work together became quite evident, Francis wrote. Anyone who thinks that the only lesson to be learned was the need to improve what we were already doing or to refine existing systems and regulations is, de is denying reality. You're just in denial. <laughs> he cited the grave loss of millions of jobs as a result of the virus as evidence of the need for politicians to listen to popular movements, unions, and marginalized groups and to craft more just social and economic policies. The <laughs> fragility... <laughs> He cited the grave loss of millions of jobs as a result of the virus as evidence of the need to listen to popular. He's talking about democratic socialism. Well, let's just get that out of the way here. Pope, the, mm -hmm. the Pope's a socialist. And now citing the grave loss of millions of jobs. If you if you're going to shut down all of the economic activity for fear of spreading infection, what do you think the jobs are going to do? What jobs are you talking about people having when you're going to shut down all of the production and consumption? What, when the government says you're not allowed to work. Yeah. What jobs are you still going to have? The only reason they didn't lose jobs in Denmark is because the government took a bunch of money and gave it to all the businesses so they wouldn't fire their employees that weren't working. But the same thing happened. It's the same. It's the same thing here. We would call it. Uh, we would call it a a corporate bailout, is what we would call it. But in Denmark, they called it their economic stimulus plan, and that's how they were able to do it. They gave the corporations all the money so the corporations could keep the same people on the payroll. The jobs are still lost, by the way. They're not doing anything. They're just still there, receiving money for no production. They're receiving money from themselves and from their children and from other people for not doing anything. The job is still gone. Okay. Anyway, my, not, my they're not actually producing. They're not producing. Yeah. So that's not a job. That's the receipt of a check. Right. That's, that's all it is. He continues here, quote, the fragility of world systems in the face of the pandemic has demonstrated that not everything can be resolved by market freedom. He wrote. It is imperative to have a proactive economic policy directed at promoting an economy that favors productive diversity and business creativity and makes it possible for jobs to be created and not cut. What? Howard? What? Uh, listen, guys, I got it. I got it. This is literally virtue signaling. This is not solving any problems, actually. It's, read this. I'm going to read this again. It is imperative to have a proactive economy I'm sorry, a proactive economic policy directed at, quote, promoting an economy that favors productive diversity and business creativity. That solves the problem. It's, there look, you go. You just need productive diversity and business creativity. You just need all these fancy words in a sentence. 
and then all your problems are solved. And you don't need like, to provide that economy. You need to do policies that are directed at promoting that economy existing someday. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it always reminds me, especially since the Pope is talking, it reminds me of Milton Friedman when he said, and just where are you going to find these angels to organize society for us? Yeah. <laughs> like we live in a world full of human beings that make mistakes. And the reason why the market the free market economics is the best way possible is because it forces people who hate each other to cooperate. It's the only system that does that. Oh, one of my favorite things Friedman said was the story about the two poles. And one poll said to another, you know, the difference between capitalism and socialism. And he said, no, he said, well, in capitalism, man exploits man. well, in socialism, it's vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's what the Pope needs to understand. Okay. Mm. No matter what, you're going to have a system that's got human beings in it where people are going to be exploiting one another for personal gain. And we need to find the best possible system for those people to survive in. That, that's, that's what you got to do. And in free market capitalism, you're demanded to provide value or you're, you can't exploit anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one perceives what you're doing as valuable. They won't give you their money. All right. He denounced populist politics that seek to demonize and isolate and called for a, quote, culture of encounter. What does that even mean? That promotes dialogue, solidarity, and a sincere effort at working for the common good. There it is. Working for the common good. I love it when he's denouncing politics that seek to demonize and isolate while denigrating like the world's most successful economic system that's ever existed and has helped the most people in the history of all existence and talking about how we have to get rid of that system. Yeah. And which when you talk about this, and of course it's coming from a religious, whatever he is, a Pope. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, listen guys, I'm not Catholic. All right. But the answer to the question, does the Pope shit in his hat? Yes, obviously. He does that, and then he writes this article right here. Okay? <clears throat> so It's obvious. It's obvious, yes. Uh, when, when he does that and is demonizing one side of politics and one side of an ideology, it's really fun to do that while talking about how you are denouncing people who seek to demonize other people in politics. Yeah. You know what? You know what problem you should focus on, Pope? You should probably stop your priests from raping children. <laughs> Focus on that problem first. And then once you solve that problem, you know, it's the whole like clean your room before, like get your own life in order before you criticize the rest of the world. Yeah. It's like before you can criticize anything else, get your own house in order, Pope, because your house ain't in order, my man. Yep. Yep. And you know, another thing, like the Catholic church has billions of dollars. And, you know, they could probably do a lot more good out there with their own money yep. rather than trying to tear down societies they don't agree with. The societies that create freaking drones to fly dead people's organs and keep them alive so another person can stay alive by getting somebody else's freaking heart. Boom. You see why we started with that article? It's infuriating. <laughs> We're sending cars into outer space. <laughs> Who knows what we could do after that? <laughs> I mean, the the advances that we've made in a free market economy, it's just pe the things people come up with. 
it's, it's unbelievable. You would never get that in any other system. But anyway, let's, let's keep demonizing this evil system. As an outgrowth of that, Francis repeated the criticism of the perverse global economic system, which he said consistently keeps the poor on the margins while enriching the few. Francis rejected the concept of an absolute right to property for individuals, <laughs> stressing instead the social purpose and common good that must come from sharing the Earth's resources. Now, look, I'm all for voluntarily sharing. I think sharing is caring. Obviously, I think if you have an abundance or even maybe a little bit and you see somebody in need and you want to voluntarily help that person out, I think that's exactly what you should do. Um, I do it. I, I think charity is something that people should be engaged in. If you're not, maybe you should check and see where you could help out, pick out something that is near and dear to your heart and help those people out. But the fact that it needs to be um, that you're not allowed to own property and that the, the whole focus of an entire society is common good. We've tried that. Human beings have tried that. And it ended in millions of people dying. Ken, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and blow this talking point too early, but I think it's great to write about uh, rejecting the concept of an absolute right to property for individuals uh, from your little room that's in a city that's completely surrounded by a gigantic wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, it's a wall for the common good of the people. Oh, man. yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, so he can decide, and his other people who are very powerful uh, can decide what property they want, and they will have ownership of that property, and they can stop people from entering that property and control what happens in, in those properties but individuals don't have right to property. Right. So, okay. Francis once again rejected trickle-down economic theory, which, by the way, doesn't exist. I'm so sick and tired of that. People are like, well, how's trickle-down economics working for you? It's like, that's made-up term, by the way. It's yeah. made up. It's, it's not an actual theory. Trickle-down's not a theory. Yeah, it's made it, up. It gets the entire idea wrong. It was obviously made up, what, during the Reagan administration, during one of yeah. the, the elections then. The idea when they say trickle-down economics is that the people at the top are going to make so much that it's going to spill over the sides to all the people below. And that's not an economic theory. That, that's a complete misrepresentation of the economic theory. The, mm -hmm. the theory is that the more you allow people to rise to the top and the easier that you make it and the more opportunities you give everyone... And the more people rise up and make those investments and create the new companies and create the new inventions and do all of that, that it will be easier for everyone at the bottom to rise up as well. Not that they will have so much extra that they will magically give it down to the low people below them. That is not, that is what trickle down economics implies out of this theory that is free market capitalism, that we will make so much money, it's inevitably going to make it down to you. And that's not what it is. It's that we're going to do so well and create so many opportunities and live in this environment where all those opportunities exist that you're also going to live in that environment where all these opportunities exist. And you're going to be able to do it too. And so it's this prosperity where people at the top get it. It's also going to be available 
for all the people down at the lower levels too, and they're going to be able to rise up as well. It doesn't would you say- not say that the poor have not gotten richer? I mean, a poor person today in 2020 compared to, a let's say, a poor person in 1950, is the standard of living not higher in 2020 than it was 50 years ago in 1970? I mean, my, my God, you've got a, a space phone. Yeah, I, I keep going back to this, but I just can't help it. This thing sends signals to space. It's incredible. <laughs> Look at this thing. You've got, you got this thing sends signals to space. And then like, if you want to ask it a question, like say you wanted to know whatever it is, like whatever, whatever you wanted to know. And you could just type it in to a machine and it would spit back a billion answers in 0.02 seconds. Actually, you don't even have to type it. You can just ask. Yeah, you could just ask Siri now. Yeah. Imagine in a world (laughs) like that is possible. If that doesn't make every single person infinitely richer, I don't know what does. You And you think... That this came, the iPhone came from government fiat, from from bureaucracy, from a directive of of the common good. You think Apple created the iPhone out of common good, or whoever created the Android out of common good? You think that's what it was? That that was the direction they were headed? I recommend that Vladimir Lenin should have issued a directive saying that they start producing Apple iPhones. I think that would have solved the whole problem right there. Right. I don't know why they didn't do it. Yeah, hmm. the common com- commissary. Why not just do that? Yeah, maybe uh, Fidel Castro would still be alive had he, you know, practiced a little trickle down. In fact, if I ever become president, I will issue an executive order saying that everyone has a right to have their own space travel vehicle and that they should all have a teleportation device that goes around everywhere. And we'll write it in the executive order. Punishable mm-hmm. by death by those who don't provide it. And then just watch all this magic pop up everywhere. That is how things are created right there, by, uh, created mm-hmm. by government directive. That's how you do it. I also wanted to mention trickle down sounds like you're peeing on yourself. <laughs> just wanted to mention that. All right. He goes on to say here, skipping down a little bit, he says, much of the new encyclical re- uh, repeats Francis's well-known preaching about the need to welcome and value migrants and his rejection of the nationalistic isolationist policies of many of today's political leaders. And Nate, you have a quote, (laughs) you have a sentence written here, that he wrote this in a place that has a giant wall around it. (laughs) Does he welcome everyone to shake his hand? Probably not. All is welcome. That wouldn't be safe these days. Although I, I am very much of the... Uh, open uh, open borders yeah. type of person. I I don't disagree necessarily with this. I think your country can have borders and you can check who's coming in and out. However, uh, I think a lot more people should be allowed to come in than what we do allow. And I think immigrants and migrants are good for the economy. I but, think the more people you have working on ideas, as long as they remain in the free market, then it can only be good for the society as a whole. The problem is we have this gigantic welfare state that sucks out productive money and puts it into non-productive use. And so you're creating this, you know, never ending vacuum um, of a, of a terrible situation. And if you want to 
move all the countries in the world around a stronger immigration policy and stopping people from coming in. Just go with old uh, Pope Popacare over here and uh, take care <laughs> of everyone via socialism. And that's going to, the, trust me, those walls will go up so fast, Trump will be blushing. All right? <laughs> they will. All right, finishing out here, uh, he dedicated an entire chapter to the parable of the Good Samaritan, saying its lesson of charity, kindness, and looking out for strangers was, quote, the basic decision we need to make in order to rebuild our wounded world. And I don't doubt that as long as it's voluntary. You can't force people to do good deeds. And the thing about it is, if you do force people to, good, to do good deeds, then what does it even mean? It's like, hey, man, I, you know, I got you this birthday gift because somebody made me give it to you. Like, how much would you appreciate that gift I got you? Well, somebody made me do it for you. Enforced altruism is no longer altruism. Ayn Rand Rand talked about this all the time and that Mm -hmm. once you force people to be altruistic, then it's, it's no longer out. It's no longer altruism anymore. That's, that's not what it is. It's force. And it will lead to you hating the people that you are having to be forced altruistic towards. Yeah. It will lead to the exact opposite. She made tons of great points on this. Yeah. It's great. Great article. Um, before we move on, anything else you want to say about that? No, I'm good. Except for the Before fact that they got on, a bunch I, of flack for the fact that the name Fratelli uh, Tutti or Tutti or whatever it was, uh, Fratelli means brothers all. And so people are being mad that they named it brothers all, which implies that it was just only about men. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> now that's some toxic masculinity right yeah. there. <laughs> See yeah. how all this ties together? <laughs> yep. All right, y'all need to tell you about the sponsor for today's show. Today's sponsor is the Expat Money Show. You guys will, uh, you know, last week we interviewed Mikkel Thurup, and he is the uh, operator at expatmoneyshow.com, E-X-P-A-T, moneyshow.com. And there's a show, there's a rapidly growing Facebook group. We talk about living free all the time, and this guy is doing it. This guy is living the libertarian wet dream, I'm telling you. If you want to find out how you can live essentially tax-free, then there is a libertarian philosophy and there is a way that you can do it, uh, and it has real-life conclusions. And so we recently interviewed him. It was a fantastic conversation. If you guys need need to go check this out, check out his show, uh, you can go to expatmoneyshow.com or search the Expat Money Show. And he has a new episode every single Friday, and you can find that where all the major uh, podcasts are found. Yeah, so I, th- I thought that was a really cool interview, by the way. It was one of my favorite interviews we've done, honestly. And I learned so much. We talk about all this stuff, living like a libertarian, and, all, and that's why I named the show Living Like a Libertarian is actually possible, because it was one of the first people I'd ever met that was a living, breathing person living out in, in libertarianism in their lives. I'd never anti-war, no taxes. And I don't just mean someone who goes around not stealing people and not taking their stuff, but he actually lives in a world where libertarianism is possible. He he lives there, a real person that exists right now. So I I, I really think people need to go check that out, Expat Money Show. Is it the Expat Money Show? No, just Expat, just expat Money Show. E X P A T Money Show dot com 
expatmoneyshow.com. Go listen to the podcast. Check out the website. He's got a forum. He's got all kinds of links there, uh, all kinds of information. There's a blog. So you need to go to that expatmoneyshow.com slash forum to check out the forum. And then there's a, a growing Facebook group as well where everybody's discussing these ideas. So he, uh, in our interview, he named off the top three places right now where you could move to and uh, base essentially pay no taxes and become a citizen, I think within five years and has all the details laid out. So um, it's very, very interesting stuff. And at least you guys should learn about it. And maybe you don't want to do it right now, but who knows? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? I'm thinking about <laughs> thinking about it. And once the kids are gone, uh, possibly, who knows, living in Panama. So expatmoneyshow.com, E-X-P-A-T, moneyshow.com. Go check it out and search for the podcast. You guys will not regret it. Do All right. It. I've got a really cool story that I had never heard about before. And uh, I heard about it this weekend. Charlie, have you ever heard of a, a guy named John Frum, F-R-U-M? No. no. Okay. I need, I, I, this is a crazy story and it ties directly into our previous, our previous articles. It's, it's such a cool story. So this is from the Smithsonian. Hmm. In the morning heat on a tropical island halfway across the world from the United States, several dark-skinned men clad in what look like U.S. Army uniforms appear on a mound overlooking a bamboo hut village. One reverently carries old glory, precisely folded to reveal only the stars. On the command of the bearded, on the command of the bearded drill sergeant, the flag is raised on a pole, hacked from a tall tree trunk, as the huge banner billows in the wind. So you guys can see this. You guys can literally see that as hundreds watching villagers clap and cheer. This is February 15th, John Frum Day, on the remote island of Tana in the South Pacific nation of Vanatu. On this holiest of days, devotees have descended on the village of, La of Lamakara from over the island to honor a ghostly American messiah, John Frum. So here's a quote. John promised he'll bring plane loads and shiploads of cargo to us from America if we pray to him. A village elder tells me as he salutes the stars and stripes. Radios, TVs, trucks, boats, watches, iceboxes, medicine, Coca-Cola, and many other wonderful things. Mm. So this uh, a little bit more backstory. So John from there promised the dawn of a new age in which all white people, including missionaries, would depart from the island, leaving behind their goods and property for the native Melanesians. For this to happen, however, the people of Tana had to reject all aspects of European society, including money, Western education, Christianity, and work on copra plantations, and they had to return to the traditional uh, custom. So in 1941, followers of John Frum rid themselves of their money and a frenzy of spending, left the missionary churches, schools, villages, and plantations, and moved inland to participate in traditional feasts, dances, and rituals. Hmm. So the island's John Frum movement is a classic example of what anthropo anthropologists have called cargo cult, many of which sprang up in villages in the South Pacific during World War II when hundreds of thousands of American troops poured into the islands from the skies and seas. As anthropologist Kirk Huffman, who spent 17 years in Vinatu, explains, you get cargo cults when the outside world, with all of its material wealth, suddenly descends on remote indigenous tribes. The locals don't know where the foreigners' endless supplies come from, 
and so suspect they were summoned by magic, sent from the spirit world. To entice the Americans back after the war, islanders throughout the region constructed piers and carved airstrips from the fields. They prayed for ships and planes to once again come out of nowhere, bearing all kinds of treasures, jeeps, washing machines, radios, motorcycles, canned meat, and candy. But the venerated Americans never came back, except as a dribble of tourists and veterans eager to revisit the Fairway Islands where they went to war in their youth. And although, and although almost all the cargo cults have disappeared over the decades, the John Frum movement has endured based on the worship of an American god no sober man has ever seen. So there is literally, wow. a, there is literally a religion on this island worshiping this person named John Frum who promised to bring them all the wonderful things that they wanted in life. If they would just give away all their money, if they would spend all of it, and he would bestow upon them all of the material possessions in the world that they ever wanted. Mm-hmm. In, ni- in 1941. Let's see where you're going with this. In 1941, and they're still waiting on him to come back. It is, oh. They were so convinced in it. These people did not have any of these things. They did not have any of those material things whatsoever. They were a remote tribe. And so they thought that he was literally sent down from the heavens with all of these materials. And they have created a religion praying to John from waiting for him to return with all of those things he promised he was going to give to them. If you just worship and elect me, yep, I will get what I will give you what your heart desires. How mainly ma- Coca-Cola. <laughs> How amazing is that story? That's that's insane. It's and this so still good. happens to this day. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Still, still a thing right now. The John from religion. I feel bad for these folks. I know. Honestly. I know. Like I kind of want to give them some stuff. Get them. <laughs> I want to tell them the truth. It's, I mean, if this is not a metaphor for human beings in general and how we act when someone says they're going to give us all of the material possessions that we seek, if we just do what they want us to do, literally these people who were not affected by the media, they weren't affected by any terrible video games or movies or anything like that. It's just human beings out in the tribal lands were told that they would have everything they ever wanted, that they would just worship this person. And since 1941, there's still a group of people sitting there praying to him, waiting for those things. It's, this is human nature. Mm -hmm. It's built in. It is completely built in. So anyway, I just, I thought that was a cool story to end it with. It is. (laughs) I, 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 That was a hell of an ending, man. Yeah, I like. I like it. I sure do. Like Could have done it better myself, but I didn't. And I let you have it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm proud. I like proud of you. I like it a lot. <laughs> Share the show with a friend. Share it with an enemy. Leave us that rating and review on iTunes. If you do all of that, then we'll be back again on Monday. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Mm-hmm.